0: I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. All right, welcome back, Solar Warriors. We have another Tactical Tuesday short form conversations with subject matter experts designed to give you the practical tools, tips, and advice for building your clean energy business or career. Today, we're digging into the idea of intellectual property patents and uh, other ways to protect your business and your assets. And I know no better expert than today's guest, Russ Krajic of Blue Iron IP, to help us sift out the wheat from the chaff. We're going to dive into all aspects of how patents protect you or don't and what you should do about it. If you want more like this, we've got Tactical Tuesdays and Practical Long Form Thought Leaders on Thursdays. Over 360 of them at mysuncast.com. I'd encourage you to subscribe in whatever podcast player you are using right now to bring this sound into your beautiful earbuds. And we will show up and entertain you every week as we've done for the last five years. For now, let's get ready to tune up your skills, solar warrior. Here we go with another powerful conversation on Suncast. Okay, so I have had lots of conversations with founders, And as many of you would know, I've been in a number of companies where the product itself is the point of the business to sell a product, not just to sell like a solar system. Several of you are putting together solar projects and you're developers, so you aggregate products. Uh, Well, you probably work with folks that have worked with someone like Russ Russ is an IP expert, he's an angel investor, an inventor, even a podcast host, but mostly he spends his time as a patent attorney, and after 13 years in his engineering career, he switched to reverse engineering the process of the patent system to create good patents. 20 years later, he understands, like the backside of his hand, the deep underbelly of the patent system. Today, he's going to help us understand how and why and when you should be investing in patents and how he invests specifically into patent strategy for startups just like yours. Russ, welcome to Suncast. Thank you, it's good to be here. Well, Russ, I think that there is a, it's a wide world out there and and most startup founders, as you well know, they don't really understand IP. So I'd like to just start at sort of square one. What is intellectual property and what is one of the common mistakes that early founders or hardware in particular startups make with regard to IP?
1: What is IP? You know, it's really, what is your competitive advantage? IP comes in a lot of forms. You know, one form of IP is your customer list, is your your LinkedIn connections or whatever. It could be the process used for pricing a product for somebody. It could be how you do your marketing. It could be countless things. But what most people think, you know, when we talk about patents, there's certain things that work well in the patent system. And the patent system, you know, we've all heard of the Wright brothers got a patent on their airplane. Edison got a patent on, on the filament for the light bulb and so on. When you're building a new product, whether it's a physical product that you're selling or a service even, you know, it might be a computer implemented thing or whatever those can be protected by patents.
0: Well, Russ, I feel like I've seen a ton of different mistakes everywhere from people getting patents too early to not protecting their assets at all. What are some of the common mistakes that you see, especially around patents?
1: The biggest mistake is not understanding the attorney-client relationship. And a lot of times, inventor will call up somebody hire a patent attorney, establish an attorney-client relationship with them, and think that, hey, everything's taken care of. The patent attorney is going to write up something, send it to the patent office, and magically I have protection. The thing that people don't realize is that there's a conflict of interest between client and the attorney. The attorney-client relationship has two distinct elements. One is, if I'm your attorney I have a fiduciary responsibility to tell you the truth. I always have to tell you the truth. And I have to give you the best advice ever. Or you sue me. And I have malpractice for that. Okay, so my obligation is to tell you the truth. But at the same time, I'm also your agent. You know, you hire an attorney to stand up in court and talk for you. You hire an attorney to read the contract because you don't want to figure it all out. You hire an attorney to write up the patent and send it to the patent office. But those two things are kind of opposed. If somebody comes to me and says, I have dumbest invention in the world. Will you write a patent for me? I have a fiduciary responsibility to say to them, well, that's not really a good idea. But on the other hand, I also have a financial incentive and I have the agency thing that says, well, not my job to tell you it's a dumb idea. My job is to cash your check, write it up, and send it to the patent office. And so there's a misunderstanding of that relationship. And the client, the inventor, just needs to be aware of it and they need to manage it appropriately. You can't just throw it over the wall to an attorney and magically you're protected. It just doesn't happen that way.
0: I find in the business that I'm in predominantly of helping entrepreneurs early in their business formation find what we commonly refer to as product market fit, I find that they will rush into different areas of business like getting IP before they've even found product market fit. Can you, from your perspective, both as an engineer and as an uh, as a patent attorney, talk to the, the pitfalls of rushing into patents too early and even the pain of prior art, as I've heard you put it? A patent will
1: cost you about $50,000. Okay. That's a $50,000 bet that you're making on your product. Okay. Now, if it pays off, it's great. However, at the early stages of your company, you have very little information about that invention. You, you haven't worked through all the technology bugs. Maybe you have a prototype, but you haven't. maybe you haven't cost reduced it for high volume manufacturing or done all kinds of long-term testing or whatever, but there's some technical issues that need to be done. And there's the business issues, the product market fit. The valuable patent is the less link in that chain, which is why I want to get a patent on why the customer bought your product. Not, hey, this is some great idea, but why they actually Put down the credit card or made that purchase, the thing that got them across the line. If I can get a patent on that, I can control the marketplace. A lot of times, companies don't get the fact that customers don't want their cool idea. What they want is a solution. People buy a quarter inch hole, not a quarter inch drill. You know, until you kind of work through that product market fit, why go out and get a patent early when? We don't know what's going to happen. And please don't tell me somebody's going to steal your invention. You know, oh, it's such a great idea. It's a billion dollar idea. No, it's not. Okay, you know, the inventor usually comes in and says there's nothing like it in the marketplace. What does nothing like it in the marketplace mean? What it means is seven billion people don't think they need this. You're the only one. So nobody's going to steal it. Okay, and it's up to you to educate them. It's up to you to make them aware of it. And then the thing will have value. But right now it has no value because we have no sales. For those who are unfamiliar, can you explain prior art? So, prior art is anything that happened before your invention, anything. And it can be typically when you do a search, uh, when the patent examiner does a search, they'll look at the patent record because that's typically a pretty complete database of things that people did in the past. But they also look at, scientific papers, blog posts. I've heard of patents being rejected because of quotations from the Bible. Back in Exodus, they were creating bricks by stomping, you know, hay and other filaments in a base to make a brick. Like, hey, it's been around for a while. So, uh, you know, I've had, I actually had some movies asserted against me and scenes from a movie (laughs) in one of my patent applications. The point about a patent is that it's novel, like nobody has done this before ever in the history of the universe. And if somebody has done it before, then I'm not eligible to get my patent. And so that's prior
0: art. Prior art is anything that existed before today. It's pretty broad. Doesn't not having patents limit your ability to get investors? You know, to some extent.
1: There's investors like to see patents. They like to see assurance that, that this is going to be a good bet for them. Sadly, the investors say, oh, do you have a patent? And the entrepreneur standing in front of the room says, yes, I do. And then they say, okay, and they check the box and they move on. Now, is that patent good? Is that patent bad? You know, one of the things that people often don't get with patents is that you have to give away something. To get a patent, you have to give away this idea, this thing that would otherwise be a trade secret. There's some things, there's some trade secrets that don't fit well with the patent process. For example, I looked at a a company that had this manufacturing process for fiberglass reinforced structural beams, and this guy had got it got it down like they're using recycled like really low cost stuff it was cheaper than wood he can make straight structural beams cheaper than wood and what did he do he got a patent on it it showed all the feeds and speeds and temperatures and and how he was adjusting the machines and everything and lo and behold containers full of these beams were showing up from China. And he's going, well, what do I do? I'm like, well, you got a method patent on a trade secret that should have been behind closed doors, never see the light of day.
0: And those kind of trade-offs are not done well by inventors. And that's the kind of thing that his patent attorney should have said to him.
1: Yeah, okay. You go to a service provider and say, look, I'm going to slap down... Fifteen grand right now, and fifty thousand dollars over the next four years, and I really, 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 really want a patent. And and you're going to expect the attorney to say, "Oh no, oh no, it's not in your best interest."
0: Like, yeah, but this comes back to the to the double edged sword, right? The the fiduciary responsibility, yeah. yet the the requirement to act as your agent. Do you have other good examples, so we can beat this idea in my head, of trade secrets that folks might like, <clears throat> popular ideas of, or, that are actually trade secrets that aren't patented?
1: The most famous one is the formula for Coca-Cola or the Colonel's 17 herbs and spices, any kind of machine learning, AI, blockchain nonsense. Like, if it happens inside a black box... And a black box might be a computer,
0: it might be your factory. That's Why nobody has, finan- has, uh, has patented a renewable energy finance model.
1: <laughs> oh no, I'm sure that there's, I, I'm sure that there's patents around that. It's just that they're done in such a way that, you know they're basically undetectable and unenforceable. The detectability is really what we're talking about here is, could I tell that somebody else is doing it?
0: And maybe you can' and maybe you can't, and if you can't the patent system doesn't work for you. So thinking about hardware, which is predominantly where you see folks uh, in this, or certainly in the, in solar and energy storage, folks mm-hmm. are getting patents, patents and IP around hardware. Is there in the product life cycle a right time to enter into the patent process? I'm thinking about like, if you have a storage product, do you need to protect your assets before you go and get your first clients? Because a lot of folks worry about that. They worry that they're going to give away those their trade secret because their client's going to say, well, no, how does this work? I'm not going to give you a million bucks for a product that I don't that I don't trust and you don't have any patents around it. And like, how am I going to know this is going to work? Business needs to
1: drive when you file your patent. Here's the restriction. The restriction is that you need to file the patent before you publicly disclose it. In every country of the world, except the u s in the u s we have a one year grace period. But if you're thinking that you're going to get protection in Europe or wherever, you have to file that patent before you start talking to people publicly now, if you have nondisclosure agreements and you make sure and you make sure that every single person signs them, you're probably okay but if you're going to go out and start selling your product and and taking orders and offering it for sale, then the clock is ticking on that one-year grace period. Can somebody file that patent tomorrow? Yeah, they could have filed it yesterday. We didn't know, right? That's always a risk in here. And don't let that risk, that risk is not overwhelming.
0: When we last talked, you kind of broke down the things that you look for, and we'll get into a minute, your ideas on investing in uh, IP, but Mm -hmm. you kind of broke down You want patent clients to have done kind of four key things in their product rollout and research and development before they've really uncovered technology risk. What are those four things? Just looking at the
1: technology risk, what I want to see is people building some units. You got to build this stuff and start sticking it together. You got to figure out where it's going to break, and you got to figure out how to fix that and ultimately how to cost reduce the product. And those are kind of, you know, I was an engineer for years. That's what we did when we brought a new product to market. And that's how we sifted through that technology problem. The next piece is how do I do it from a customer standpoint? Why is the customer buying it? What's the This goes into more of the product market
0: fit as opposed to purely the technology design. And that comes down to, like you said before, if you understand and figure out why somebody is willing to buy your product and a previous conversation you had that I wrote down a note I'll inject here is you said, if, if it only works, if you do this one thing, this interface software thing, like which you said in a different way earlier in the conversation, that's how you patent it. But you only know that if you've built it, broken it, done some cost out and gotten a customer to take a look at it and tell you that you're not an idiot.
1: Yes. The only way the customer tells you that you're not an idiot is when they give you a credit card. Okay, this is not asking your mom if she likes your artwork. Okay, only thing that matters is they wrote you a check. They paid you money. If they did that, they believed in it.
0: You know, so you wrote a book that I haven't had a chance to read, but I'm curious to pull some of the ideas from it that you want to teach folks. Uh, Investing. In patents. Tell me about the the core message that you want to communicate to entrepreneurs around how to think about investing in patents.
1: You know, part of this conflict of interest between that we talked about earlier between the attorney and the client, I wanted to fix that. My business model is to finance patents for a startup company. And so I pay for all the patent costs and stuff. and, And essentially, you it's a rent to own, lease to own buy patents as a service, essentially, instead of paying up front. But what it does is I have skin in the game. And so now I'm looking at patents as a patent owner. And what I'm looking at is building a business case for that patent. Who is the target? Who is going to infringe? What's the value? If I asserted the patent against them, how would they work around it? And if my solution is so elegant and so low cost and, and the exact thing that the customer wants, they'll infringe anyway. And then the patent has value. Then you can assert it or do a license agreement or, or whatever. My favorite example of this is Apple's most valuable patent, which is the one they used to sue Samsung, which is slide to unlock. And if you think about that, what they did with that is every single phone, every single one before the iPhone had a green button and a red button. The old brick phones, the bag phones, the car phones, the flip phones, the everything, everything had a green button and a red button. iPhone was the first one to say, I'm getting rid of all the buttons and we're going for a touchscreen interface. So what is the first problem that they're going to have to solve? Or a competitors going to have to solve? It's how do I answer a call? And so they came up with this slide to unlock, you know, activate the, the touch screen. You have to slide your finger and it becomes unlocked and you can answer the call. Google thought that was so important that they had to put it into Android. That's when the giant lawsuit to end all lawsuits is going to, is going through and it'll be gone for years. But if you think about that problem, Apple was looking at a problem that nobody else had ever seen before. It was not yet just another solution. Oh, okay, I have this whatever the product is, and mine's just like the other one, except it's you know half a percent better. Those patents are not that interesting. But when somebody is has this vision of okay, I have this really hard problem that I'm going to solve, and then I have to start taking those technology steps to figure it out, you're going to be seeing problems that nobody else has solved. When you see the problem that nobody else has solved, you get to come up with a solution and you get to get a patent on the best solution or five different ways to do this thing and really own the market for that. And you think about slide to unlock is the patent that owns the entire cell phone universe, the, the entire smartphone universe can be controlled with that one thing. And for a startup company, especially if you're going into a new field where it's rich in these problems that need to be solved, and you're looking at these problems for the first time, you can come up with really valuable patents.
0: Russ, I am learning so much. I'd love to be, uh, you know, an hour or more on the phone with you. And I'm sure that we could dive down a ton of rabbit holes, but we are limited by time. And I want to respect uh, your time as well. I'm sure among the many topics, there's probably something that we've left on the table. Is there any parting thought or point of wisdom around protecting your company and your assets that you'd like to leave the guests with before we wrap? One of the biggest discontinuities
1: between having ip of any sort be it trade secrets or trademarks or patents or whatever is this idea of how do i enforce it and what's going to go on so, you know there's some kind of fog in between oh i have this patent but how is it really going to get implemented there's actually insurance policies out there that are designed for startup companies designed for you know small entities to give them that that wherewithal to you know, enforce their patents, or enforce their trade secrets, or chase down that that founder who left the company and is spinning up his own version of it because he was angry. Those are real scenarios that happen in the startup world. And amazingly, there's a whole bunch of specialty insurance products that are appropriate for startup companies in that space, and that is the tool that you're going to use to implement all these IP protection things that we talk about, even if it's a trade secret or trademark or a patent. We didn't talk about trademarks much, but the way you're going to implement them is through through some insurance. I'd encourage anybody to look for that if they're in that space and they're worried about
0: how they're going to use their IP. Well, Russ, I am certain that you're going to get more than... One phone call, but how, how do you like to be found? How can people reach out and get to know you better if they are so inclined?
1: My website is blueironip.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter at, at blueironip. Also, my email address is rust.crajec, K R A J E C, at blueironip, and you'll find it on the website as well. But anybody, or at least you know, the first hundred people that Shoot me an email and send me your, your mailing address. I'll happily mail out a copy of my book, Investing in Patents, and a nice little gift to go along with that. So look forward to hearing from you.
0: Absolutely. Well, I love that little gift for the Suncast tribe. Uh, we should have more, at least, a, yeah, at least a, a couple of dozen. I hope we hit that 100 mark. Appreciate that generosity. Thank you. Anybody, you hear that? So anybody here in the Suncast tribe, you're listening to this. Free stuff. How do how do you not like free stuff? And he's not even, it's not even a book funnel where he's charging you for the shipping. <laughs> no, so, no, I'll pay, I'll cover the shipping, you know, don't worry about it. Indeed, he paid for the book, he's going to pay for the shipping so that you can learn about investing in patents and you can learn how to protect your assets. Russ Krajek is one of the foremost experts on intellectual property that I've had the pleasure of getting to know and he... Been dropping value bomb after value bomb today. I hope that you've gotten a lot out of this, Russ. On behalf of the Suncast Tribe, thank you for joining us here on today's Tactical Tuesday.
1: Thank you for having me. Enjoyed it.
0: All right, Solar Warriors. Well, this is a message of hope and encouragement, as Russ would say. Armed with a few simple tools, you now can build your business with the comfort that you have a good strategy in hand. And if you still need more advice, I would encourage you. To reach out to today's expert Russ Krajec, we've we've left all of the contact information. Uh, if you're out on a run, and you can't write it down. Don't worry. Go to mysuncast.com, click on the show notes button, and you can find Russ's episode along with all of the things that we've talked about and linked to here. The goodies and social media links, a couple of articles, and also how to find more uh, info about Russ right there in the show notes at mysuncast.com. Thank you for giving it a listen. If this is your first time, I would love it if you would give us a rating and review in the podcast player that you're using. Sometimes it's just a thumbs up. I don't know if you're in Stitcher or iTunes, but if you're in in the Apple ecosystem, if you could leave us a review. That's how people find us, and it just makes me, you know, gives me the warm fuzzies every time I see someone uh, either compliment or critique. I love critique as well. So let us know what you thought of this episode, and if you're a longtime listener, thank you. You are a part of our family, a part of our Suncast tribe. I love having you here once again and with uh, with our voices in your earballs on your run while you cut grass, while you wash dishes. I know so many of you have different habits and strategies for how you uh, ingest this content. If you are curious about how you could partner with us to reach the thousands of listeners every week, well, then you can go right to mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor and learn how you could participate in helping make this free for other listeners just like you we're here every week tuesdays for these tactical tuesdays and thursdays for longer thought leadership interviews with leaders of companies in the clean energy revolution i hope that you'll join us again back here remember you are what you listen to thanks again for showing up solar warrior it's half the battle